on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You are listening to The Jan Price Show, all about movies, and today my guest is Oscar-nominated sound editor Renee Tondelli, and Renee was nominated in 2017 for Deepwater Horizon, starring Mark Wahlberg and Kurt Russell, and most recently she's been working on Mary Poppins Returns, starring Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Welcome to the show, Renee. Hi, thank you for having me, Jan. Well, it's exciting. I went. This is an exciting day. Uh, congratulations that Emily Blunt was nominated for a Best Actress Golden Globe Award, Best Musical and Comedy for Mary Poppins, Lin Manuel Miranda for Best Actor, and Mark Scheiman for Best Original Score. How yeah. exciting! I know it was wonderful. It was great to hear that. Yeah. How did you feel about it when you heard it today? Oh, I was really excited. I, you know, it's such a it was such a wonderful project to work on for all of us. We were all just so gifted that we were able to do that for a year. It was like my favorite year of my life in this business. So it was wonderful. And it was great to know that everybody got noticed and, and you know, that they're getting recognition. How, so you said it was the most exciting year of your life working on a film. So tell me a little bit about that. You worked with direct, it was directed by uh, Mary Poppins Poppin Returns. It was directed by Rob Marshall. And so what was it like working with Rob Marshall on this? Rob is amazing. He's, I've worked with five films. This will be my fifth film with him. And he's, this will be the third musical. Rob creates families. So, his films are very, very special. Everyone that works with each other works in this very collaborative, familial way. And we don't, we don't isolate ourselves within our departments. We all sort of dip into each other's, which is really wonderful. And we do it gratefully and, and happily, <laughs> which is kind of unusual. Um, and it was, you know, he's just amazing to work with. He's incredibly focused. He has, impeccable timing sense of rhythm sense of performance visually there's no one i've worked with like rob marshall he's a wonderful director and he really does a great job with musicals that's his forte you've worked with a lot of great directors and we'll get into that a little bit more but what were some of the challenges you had with mary poppins returns well one of the uh one of the homages to the original Mary Poppins was the animation sequence, which was done with traditional animation, meaning hand-drawn frame by frame. So they actually had animators come out of retirement for Disney to finish this, to work on this scene. And it was really wonderful because it was live action. It was 2D animation, hand-drawn animation. It was... Um, there was visual effects in it. It was it was really a coordination of, of these three elements. And when we first got this particular scene, which is the we called it the um, ceramic world, Mary Poppins takes them on an adventure, and it's inside a ceramic bowl, and they actually arrive inside the bowl from 
and in that moment they have to we have to create this world which is basically nothing when we got it except for green screen the actors um a carriage and pencil drawings so we to fill in and to make it work this is where sound is really wonderful because sound can fill in and make you believe that there's there's they're inside a bowl and we did this with a couple of ways which we recorded what they call impulse responses so you put a microphone in the middle of the bowl and you hit it from various different ways and then it gives you this reverberation that sounds like you're actually inside a bowl and then you take that element and feed it through all the dialogue and the feet and everything that goes on and so it has this wonderful sense that you're literally inside a ceramic bowl um and it was it went from that particular scene into the music hall which uh is a very british thing it's not necessarily something we do here very often but a music hall in london is very bawdy and boisterous and rowdy and the audience is very engaged with what's going on on the stage and it's filled with this these animated animals animation characters that are wonderful they're all elephants dressed up in saris and zebras and suits and everybody is filling up this audience and we did it with actors in london we hired about 70 or 80 actors and who could also sing and they incorporated they filled in the voices of all these animals and in the music hall with a british accent with several british accents you know from the british isles and they also sang along so they could sing along with mary in the chorus and it just filled the entire rafters it was really fun to do that and that was the first uh scene that we really went after was the animation sequence that's really amazing now how did you come up with the idea of how you would make it sound like it was in a ceramic bowl i mean yeah what kind of process was that <laughs> just fiddling you know you start hitting a bowl and going oh that's how it sounds well, what if we hit it with a hammer what if we hit it with another piece of ceramic what if we hit it with a drum mallet what if we hit it with a shoe you know and you just start to play around with all these different sounds and you realize like okay that's how it makes cuz it that's how it becomes a ceramic bowl so and we had the there's a horse in it that becomes the rhythmic track almost for the for the for the song that Mary's singing and she's in a carriage and the horse is 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 trotting along and we actually used coconuts on a porcelain sink to make it sound like it actually was this horse on a in a porcelain bowl which was a little bit of a challenge sometimes because you later on in the scene during the nightmare there becomes a very aggressive and and scary scene where there's a horse being chased there's a chase that occurs and you needed to have it be powerful and strong but also still in a ceramic bowl so it was an interesting challenge to create this um combination which my fellow sound supervisor and sound designer Eugene Garrity did an amazing job on that. So. 
how did you decide to become a sound editor? I mean, it's not like a career path that you might be able to go, you know what? I think I love the different sounds in movies, and I think I'll become a sound editor. Um, <laughs> it is a good question. It's, very, it's a really good question. Um, well, when my first job actually was in radio, oddly enough, I walked down to our local station when I was 17, and they had these – uh, they called them brokerage hours. So you, if you were, say, the Polish, you could buy an hour on the station, and it was the Polish hour or the Lithuanian hour or the Irish hour, and those guys were always wonderful. They always came in drunk and crazy, and I'd have to force them into the studio. <laughs> but I ended up being – I walked in there, and he said, can you engineer? And I said, uh, sure. I didn't even know what that meant. And he said, good, because this guy just quit. So I literally started that day not knowing anything that I wanted to do, you know, not how to do my job. <laughs> but part of the process in it, which was so fun, is that you ended up having, like, for instance, the Polish hour. They speak all in Polish, but I had all these. Uh, one of my jobs was to do all the live sound effects. So I had a big table with all of these, you know, doorbells and bells and feet and shoes and things that I had to create live during their Polish hour and of course I didn't understand what they were saying but he would look at me and glare at me and I would somehow know that that was a doorbell and that, that, <laughs> so I started to realize wow this is really fun to create this world which is what radio is right it's the first it's the way of telling a story through sound and from that point I went to ABC and I became the first female engineer that they had which was at a time was it you know it was interesting to be that because it was traditionally a male job but while i was there i really always wanted to go through film school so i i went to film school while i was working at abc and um somehow it just ended up because i really wanted to be a director oddly enough and then i ended up becoming really good at what I was doing, and then I just started to fall in love with sound, and I ended up doing that when I came out here. That's amazing, and you you have worked with some amazing, amazing directors. You've worked with Quentin Tarantino, uh, James L. Brooks, Nancy Myers, David O. Russell, Peter Berg, Curtis Hansen, Jay Roach, John Singleton. I mean, you you're. It sounds like you hit the ground running, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Dr. Hollywood. <laughs> Well, you know, it's a wonderful thing because I remember, and I love to say this because I like to inspire everyone. When I decided I was going to Hollywood, everybody said to me, do you know how hard it is to get a job out there? I mean, you you got to be crazy. And I looked at them and I said, well, somebody has to do it. Why not me? And I think that a lot of our, a lot of what we want to do, we don't necessarily do because we're thinking it's especially for women, we always think that we have to be uber qualified to do something that, you know, a man is much more willing to go, sure, I can do that and not know what they're doing, but just figure it out quickly as they go. But for women, I think we have a tendency to sit back and wait till we're ready. And, you know, you just never are. And there's nothing like any film school I went to, any pre- Anything that I worked in radio, because I did a lot of the production in radio, and I would create these hour-long programs, which were wonderful, that created, you know, a whole story and sound. And I also worked in the newsroom. So I, I know that there was all of that element. But once I 
came out to do a real film, it was completely new. Everything I had to learn fresh, pretty much. And and actually, frankly, that same thing happens on every film. Every single film that you start, even though it's a musical or even though it's from the same director, it's a completely different film. And you sit there and look at it and say, how am I going to, what am I going to say? What is this film going to say? What do I need to do that's different than anything I've done so far? And how can I bring this story to life? And it's a wonderful process to go through that. And I think I'd love to encourage more people to do that because it really is just jumping in it and doing it. And did you ever feel like you were just in over your head? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Did I let anyone know? No. (laughs) You're a good actress, too. (laughs) My first job on the stage i remember i said i was working on war of the roses and i had just started i don't know i'd been in the film out here for maybe six months eight months and i said hey i want to learn how to um do the adr i'd love to do that you know work that out and the supervisor looked at me like i was crazy like yeah sure well one day he called me and he said you still want to do that and i said yeah and he said okay get down here with a pad of paper and i ran down with my little pad of paper and he said to me okay know when to call sync even if you don't know it fake it never let them know that you don't know i was like okay fake sync i got that (laughs) (laughs) and never fraternize with the actors and i went okay never fraternize with the actors and he said now get out of here you got michael douglas in 15 minutes and that was my first job and I, i walked down the stage and there was danny devito and james l brooks and michael douglas and I was like, okay, I can do this. And I just pretended I knew what I could do. You know, it's like Mark Twain says, you are who you think you are. So that and it was really funny because it got, you know, I actually said to Michael Douglas, well, I don't think that one really worked. And he looked at me and said, I'm the best in the business. And Danny DeVito said, she says you're not. Do it again. And <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it's definitely winging it when you first do it, and and even every film I go on to, believe me, every single film I'm like, oh, can I do this? I mean, well, how am I going to do this? And you know, you kind of sit down to a blank, a film. When you get a film, it's really just the dialogue and just effects and things that the picture department put in. But you have to really create this world especially in Mary Poppins when you've got 12 brand new songs and Rob is really careful about not wanting to just cue the audience and say, here comes the song. And so everybody kind of cringes in musicals. So it's a very organic process that he goes through and he uses every single department to its highest performance. And we have these, uh, you know, you have to, bring the song in in a very graceful way and sort of hug it and let it believe, let the audience believe that it actually happened, all of it in that one scene at that moment. And it takes, a, it's involved with using 
pre-records that they do in a studio, live vocals that they do on the set, a bit of ADR, which is, we do, we call that, we record things afterwards, little bits and pieces that you want to change. And then you melt all those together so that it feels like it's a very organic process. And, and you know, each one is very different. Each song was very different. Absolutely fascinating. If you are just tuning in, you're listening to the Jam Price Show, all about movies. And my guest today is Oscar-nominated sound editor Renee Tondelli. And we're talking about the brand-new, highly anticipated Disney film, Mary Poppins Returns. When you do a movie, does the director give you notes in advance of what sounds he wants? I mean, how do you decide what you need for a movie? when you're well, making it? That's a good question. Um, on this particular, because I've worked with Rob so many times, I do know his tastes very well. Although I always like to stretch them, you know, because it, I think a director, when he first comes into, you know, they're sort of terrified when they sit down to their first cut and go, okay, what do I have? But he's not that guy. He sits down and he knows every single take. He knows every single he goes through all of the material so that it's really familiar to him. And what he does is he will pick the best performances of everything. And we do a process. And on this particular film, he we talked about Mary Poppins. And to me, it was magical realism. It's It wasn't fantasy. She happens to be this amazing woman who's magical. So everything had to be dipped in realism. So that was pretty much the way we approach this film. And what I often do with every director, and especially with Rob, is that we sit down and come up and we'll create elements for this scene, like I spoke about earlier with the animation scene. And I'll say, okay, this is what we think the horse would be, and this is how the people would be, and this is the the birds and the you know the entire backgrounds, and create this elements these elements for him, and give them to him, and he puts them into their editing process, which he does with Wyatt Smith, who's our Uber picture editor and they sit there and, and they kind of taste the sounds you know like oh that's too much that i don't like the squeak in that can you get rid of this oh how about if we did more of that and so the process is a very fluid continual process that by the time we actually get to the mix stage he knows exactly what he has there's no surprises it's all been flushed out and that point which is a wonderful way to go because it's this way, he's very confident about it, and he's able to do further pruning, so to speak. You know, I'd love a little more of that, or can you take that away? And that's the process, working with Rob. And obviously, it's different with each director. Can you talk a little bit about working with you worked with Quentin Tarantino on uh, Django Unchained and Grindhouse? Uh, talk a little bit about because he's such a fascinating director. He is. I love Quentin. He, he is. Yeah, he's fantastic. I remember I'm from a family of 11 and I met him and I said, Oh, Quentin, you are my dream as a child. I always wanted to be the only child because he's an only child. And he looked at me and he said, Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but as a director he's uh he's amazing he re- like he he knows everything so well like he spends a lot of time in the 
edit room, the same thing, the same process happens on that where you feed him material. He is more hands-off. He works a lot with Wiley Stateman, who, Stateman, who is you know, an Uber sound designer and, and they've worked for years. And, um, so there's a lot of processes that go on between them in the early stages and during the process. But when he comes, he's very specific about certain things. He hates, hates, hates any additional dialogue. Uh, it doesn't matter how bad the sound is. And we work really, really hard to clean up all the dialogue so that there is nothing that gets replaced. It's all original dialogue. His songs, the way he does it, and he doesn't like to edit the music. So he'll pick a song and, it's often played from beginning to end, and he uses that when he's actually filming so that the song actually works in a very organic way. I mean, he's, he's amazing. He, he once said something about the edit, about the writing process, and he said that he writes it three times. Once when he writes the film, once when he shoots the film, and then once when he edits it. And that's another process that he spends time with it's been it was great to work with him yeah that's why he does so few films easy puts so much into each oh, one of them like yeah that. the same with rob they just give heart and soul and rob will spend three years on a film and he will not fin he will not even think about doing another one until this baby is done and delivered you know it's it's amazing. They really do. They're auteurs. You know, they have a really wonderful sense of things, which is great to work with people like that. It's amazing because they have a, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, you can imagine. We have one more time for one more uh, question. Uh, tell me a little bit about working on Deepwater Horizon. What were some of the obstacles on that since you were nominated for an Oscar and a BAFTA award and many awards for that particular film? So tell me about some of the challenges of uh, doing that film. Everything was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have enough time, is what you're telling me today. <laughs> exactly. Let me just begin. Okay. Oh. First of all, there was no working equipment, none. It was shot oh my in, on a parking lot in Louisiana in the old Six Flags parking lot. Oh they goodness. built, yeah, they built sets there. They also had sets in an old abandoned big store you know one of those giant stores that so we built all of the interiors i didn't they built all the interior sets of the rooms that were within the uh the rig um so everything had to be created every single thing uh the dialogue was a was a mess and we actually it's the antithesis of mary poppins like in mary poppins we we fretted over every single breath vowel consonant this one was like <laughs> yeah, we don't care. It sounds great, you know. <laughs> we ended up almost making it sound worse because there was just it was supposed to feel we wanted it to feel very sort of almost documentary like so that they literally were on a rig and it was, you know, like when a helicopter lands and everyone's talking, we just left that as it was and it was like, okay, what what's important? What words do you want to hear? And we just looped those words and put them in so that you could kind of hear what's going on. It was completely, completely different. It was a real challenge, that film. Fascinating, fascinating. Renee, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on. You have been listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies, and my guest today has been Oscar-nominated sound editor Renee Tondelli. 
Coast on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. Tired of looking at your worn wood floors? Mr. Sandless can bring them back to life again. That's right. It's Mr. Sandless, the no-sanding solution to beautiful wood floors. Mr. Sandless is clean, efficient, contains no harmful chemicals, and is certified green. Mr. Sandless refinishes all hardwoods, softwoods, engineered flooring, and laminates. Most jobs are completed in one day with no cleanup required ever, with virtually no odor, and is safe for pets and kids. No need to move out or even leave the house. Mr. Sandless is the company that invented Sandless Refinishing and is the largest floor refinishing company in the world. Over 120,000 happy customers, guaranteed adhesion, guaranteed satisfaction, and a five-year warranty. Call Mr. Sandless today at 831-747-7476. That's 747-7476. Or MrSandless.com. That's MrSandless.com. 